0: This podcast is brought to you by WatchCity Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host and book editor. I'm joined this week by Kathy Kaiser, who wrote the chapter Know These Warning Signs of Information Architecture Problems. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks, Dan. Great. We love to start off with introductions. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I am co-founder and partner at Centralis. We are a user experience research and design consultancy based in the Chicago area. And these days I spend most of my time running our business operations and working with clients to help them set their research agenda, both in the short term and the long term, um, figuring out what methods and projects make the most sense for the research questions that they are facing. Great.
0: And are there any research methods in particular that you focus on?
1: We run the whole gamut. We like to have a broad toolkit because the nature of the challenges do vary. Um, We do evaluative research um, focused on products like usability testing, for example, Um, and also generative research, which is more um, foundational based on user needs. So um, ethnographic studies, user interviews, card sorting, um, and we use both qualitative and quantitative methods.
0: Nice. And can you tell folks about your career trajectory? How did you discover UX and and how did you wind up where you are today?
1: I had a pretty conventional path into user experience, if there is such a thing in such a varied field. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's degree in social science. And coming out of graduate school, I worked for Doblin Group, an innovation planning firm, and at Dublin, we had the opportunity to use social science methods to study people and figure out how to create innovative products and services for them. Um, most of my work at Dublin was on physical products in the analog world, uh, but this was the late 90s and the internet was really um, coming into its own as a transactional platform. Mm. Um, so it was a, a pretty easy transition to bring that social science background um, into the technological space and start working on problems that became known as user experience. Um, While working at a couple of digital marketing agencies, it became clear that there was an opportunity for a firm that focused solely on user experience. Um, It was a new and growing field and there was just so much interest in understanding how people do things and what they need and how design can be, um, you know, kind of matched with that need to provide a usable and fulfilling experience. Uh, My co-founder and I left our jobs and started Centralis in the spring of 2001. Uh, We actually started in the carriage house above his garage, um, which is uh, exciting, yes. And uh, happily, we were successful enough that we were able to get a real office before winter came because there was no heat. (laughs) And, uh, And it's been 20 years, and it's been a lot of fun along the way.
0: Oh, that's that's really awesome, uh, and and twenty years in in user experience research so that means you're you know there on the ground floor uh, getting the started for the rest of us. That's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it um it was crazy back in the day having to really invent things as as we went, um, trying mm. to figure out you know how do you. Evaluate usability when you need to travel, for example. Um, So we had a portable usability lab that involved (laughs) uh, monitors with detachable bases because you had to bring a monitor because no one used a laptop. That was too unusual. Um, And then you know when mobile devices became so important, how do you um, you know record what's happening on the screen and also the gestures and participants' faces and um, there was a lot of a lot of MacGyvering that happened to come up with uh, the best setup and the best tools to do our work.
0: Yeah, and these are CRT monitors you're talking about, right? <laughs> not flat screens.
1: They, well, actually, by then we were flat screens were were um, just coming out, so oh, we good. were able to find some. Yeah, I don't. too much risk with a crt have to ship it and then yeah back in the day you know when we were a small company just trying to um you know meet our clients needs and and keep the lights on um we didn't have a lot of uh wiggle room in terms of risk so we were often doing a project in one city and then hopping on a plane and doing a project in another city the next day and Um, so in addition to figuring out what technology do we need, you know, how do we travel with it? How do we keep it, um, up to date and running and, um, how can we get the, the amount of work done that we needed to do? Because, you know, the exciting thing was that there was a a crazy amount of demand, um, and there still is, you know, there's still so much interest in Mm. understanding how people are using products and services or how they're doing, um, the tasks of their daily lives and their work. Um, And so, you know, and there's no shortage of difficult products to use out there. So we're just doing our part to try to make the world an easier place.
0: Great. Great. Well, thanks for that. Um, Digging into your chapter, know these warning signs of information architecture problems. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So I chose this topic because in our years of UX research, we um, have identified information architecture problems in particular as ones that are kind of thorny to diagnose in mm. research and yet so important in improving the design. Right. Um, so, you know, if you've got a, a problem within a page, um, it's usually pretty straightforward in a usability test session to um. Identify what's happening. You know, something is mislabeled or it's out of view. Um, You know, it's not being presented in a way that users would expect to find it. Um, And the user can help you um, unpack that and figure Mm -hmm. out a solution. Um, But when the problem is how the information is organized, the impacts happen throughout the experience between the screens. And um, user behavior isn't always as straightforward. Um, And in fact, it it shows up in these sort of odd behaviors that you think, what is happening here? Why are people Mm -hmm. doing this? And um, I wanted to share some of the things that we've observed. So when people see these behaviors in their research, they can go, oh, maybe the problem is the categories we're using to organize our content. Or maybe the problem is our navigation system.
0: Yeah. And that's great because, you know, one of the chapters in our book is... uh, observing behaviors is the gold standard and observing behaviors for overt problems is easy enough. But when it comes to organizational and IA problems, uh, those behaviors may not be as uh, observable. So um, can you tell us a little bit about those behaviors?
1: Sure. So some of the, um, the things that we see that um, suggest problems with information architecture are um, driving in circles for example. Mm. Um, This is when uh, a user is working their way towards, um, they they hope they're working their way towards completing a task, Um, and yet they are um, moving through pages in a random haphazard way and often revisiting pages that they have already considered. Um, So they go from step one to two to three and back to one again. They may not even realize that they've already seen that page, um, that they are not progressing towards accomplishing their goal. Um, and when we see this, it is a clue that they do not have a good mental map of how the information on the site is organized. They don't understand the different categories, the, the different rooms um, that they can uh, visit to right. get information that helps them um, progress towards their goal. Um, And it can be a very frustrating and inefficient experience for them. Um, And oftentimes what, you know, we'll see this happening um, over the course of, I don't know, five or 10, 15 minutes sometimes. Um, And then they'll just kind of throw their hands up and go back to the home screen or the start screen of the experience. And and that's another clue. When people um, feel like they need to kind of give themselves a clean slate and start over, you know that the problem is that they... They can't internalize the structure of your information, and therefore they can't use it to accomplish their goal.
0: Yep, no, that's great. Those are those are very uh, great takeaways for folks to that they can observe in their research um, when when these problems arise. H- how do you get at the the user's mental map when these problems do arise, so that you can fix these problems?
1: well the key is to use moderated sessions Mm. and i I know that sounds like you know perhaps a a basic no-brainer but um you know as i was saying earlier there's such a range of methods and techniques available to ux researchers these days um, that it's really critical to know what to choose for the problem at hand and um, i know that you know many folks are relying on automated tools Um, we do quantitative studies ourselves Um, There are session videos now, there are products that will just record a bunch of live sessions on your site, and you can analyze those. Um, And those types of tools have their place. Um, But the key with diagnosing these information architecture problems is that you have to get at what's going through the user's mind, and the best way to do that is in a one-on-one moderated session. Um, So, you know, it's a standard usability protocol, of course, you give them a task, you ask them to think aloud, um, and you ask these probing questions um, as minimally as possible and at key moments. And so, you know, our favorite probes are things like, you said, huh, Right? (laughs) or, you know, thoughts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're very vague and open-ended, just things to get the user talking, because then you'll hear wonderful nuggets like... um, Oh right, this is the page that I want. Um, that you know, I clicked on this link because it promised me X, Y, and Z, and you know, because you're familiar with the design, that that's not what that link was meant to indicate at all. Right. And that you know, they've actually ended up in a different place altogether. So it's having that interaction with the participant. Not that you know, moderated small sample testing will answer all of your questions. It won't, but it will really help you get to the why which is so important for figuring out how to fix the problems that you're seeing.
0: I love that. Um, That's such a great point, that moderated sessions get at the why. And there are all these great tools out there that have their their time and place. But um, you're not going to uncover some uh, answers without asking people directly and asking why multiple times so that you can get at root causes.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, how about some of those questions? Um, you know, what are some questions that we can ask of participants to get at um, their, their mental model or to uncover IA problems? Uh,
1: questions in terms of probing questions during sessions?
0: Yeah, probing questions or you know, even questions that you um, ask at the beginning of a session in terms of how they think about things, uh, maybe before they see an artifact.
1: Sure. Well, you know there there are different um, situations of use. I suppose you know mm. you may be working with a current user, um, someone who's very familiar with the product, and in which case you would want them to demonstrate what they do on a regular basis and have them nominate the tasks and show you how they go about it. Yep. Um, if you're working with someone who is not a user of the system or you know it's a new product that doesn't exist yet, um, then you want to do some hypothesis testing. Um, And this is actually something that, you know, we work with a lot of um, user experience specialists who are just coming into the field and um, they tend to have a lot of enthusiasm for working with users, a lot of excitement. Um, They know that they need to establish rapport and build empathy. Um, But one area where we think training programs could do perhaps a bit more to prepare people for the field is to help them understand how to generate and test hypotheses. Mm. So um, we certainly wanna know how people approach an interface On their own you know given a general goal um, it's very interesting it's sort of the fly on the wall scenario right but if your question is um, do we have the right categories here have we set up the structure of this application in the best way then you should have tasks where the target is in each of those areas and you should you know and you can combine it with the more open-ended approach you can do half sessions one way half sessions the other um, but you want to make sure that you're giving people that specific target and then seeing how they get there. Do they go right there? Great. And then it's probably a decent category that's well labeled. Um, do they consistently visit a different section because they are interpreting that section slightly differently than you thought? Okay, that's data. You can mm-hmm. figure out, you know, what changes you need to make to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have those specific, if people don't have the opportunity to look for something in the categories you've created, then you won't know if they are effective in helping people get there. So it's important to, in the test prep phase, to identify, okay, what are our hypotheses? Where do we think people might struggle? Where do we, where do we hope they will succeed? It's an equally important to test um, things that you believe in and things that you suspect are problematic. Um, and then set up tasks that give people the opportunity to go to those areas. Yep. And if they do, great, and if they don't, well, then you know what, what work you have left to do.
0: Great. What else? Are there other warning signs of IA problems that we should be thinking about?
1: Sure, a, a baffling behavior um, sometimes, especially when you're facilitating the session and you just want to ask the person, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can't, right. is when they repeatedly click on a link for the page they're already on. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and sometimes it's a poorly placed inline link um, that's just bad um, content design. Where why would you inline link to the p- the current page? Sometimes mm-hmm. those things slip through, um, but more often it's a link in the navigation. So they are you know on a content page, they're consuming the content. It's maybe a partial answer or not quite what they're looking for and then they see the the link in the navigation to that page and there's something about the way that's labeled that is really compelling. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go there. That will have my answer. And especially if they've you know scrolled down in the experience, if clicking on that refreshes the page, sometimes they don't even recognize that it's exactly where they had been. Mm. And so they start kind of reading all over again and processing the page all over again. And then, you know, I I have to say it's sad but true. They get to that same point and they think, oh, wait, no, this link on the side, this is what I want. (laughs)
0: And they
1: do it all over again. yeah Um, So that could be, um, it could be a problem with the, you know, the page itself. Like it's not the right cut on the information. It's not comprehensive enough or it's too narrow. Um, or it could be the label is misleading and they're expecting a different type of information than is actually provided on the screen.
0: Yeah. Is that a case where we we would ask users to quote unquote design for us and ask them what things should be labeled to, to best find them?
1: I mean, it never hurts to ask. Um, we have found over time that Participants are, are pretty bad at labeling things mm, <laughs>
0: um,
1: and they often choose, you know, things that just aren't practical. You know, they'll, they'll choose a five word phrase for something right. that <laughs> you're trying to fit in a, a left navigation bar. Um, but it's it's really not asking them so much for the answer as helping them illuminate what the answer needs to include. Right. Um, so you can say, what would you call this? you know, how would you characterize the information on this page? You know, what if you had to if you had to pick a phrase, you know to describe it, what would you say? And they give you a, you know an answer and you say, okay, well, what about what about that um, is descriptive of what we see here? You can tell me more about that and right. unpack it. And it's all of that context from which the designers can then draw. A label or a couple of labels to um, to experiment with.
0: Yeah, and maybe you find trends amongst the participants when you ask that question, you know, across the participants, and maybe there is a trend that they're circling around in those five word descriptions.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would say though one trend to avoid at all costs is the word resources. (laughs)
0: The junk drawer.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. The internet's a junk drawer. Um, We have worked on so many sites that have this. Uh, amorphous category where, you know, we call it a black hole, actually, um, because people think that everything is in there because everything is a resource and it's just not informative. It's a non-label label. label. And uh, it's really important to really break that apart and like, well, what's really in here? And to group things by the nature of their content, um, not by a vague label like resources.
0: Are there other words like that to, to look out for?
1: Hmm... That is by far the biggest culprit. Yep. Um, Links. Sometimes links, quick links. Oh yes, links and quick links are are a problem. Um, Topics can go either way, Hmm. honestly. Um, I've seen topics used in the junk drawer fashion where if you don't have a good taxonomy within your topics, then it's just a laundry list of a bunch of stuff on the site. And you might as well call it stuff, right? Um, But in other instances, if you work internally to define, well, is there a set of relevant topics here um, into which we can group all of this information and they're all at a similar level and they're the same type of thing, then I've seen that work pretty well. Um, You know, it can help people, you know, they may not know what they're going to get when they go in there, but if they see um, the same types of things you know it's all it's all fruit for example right. it's all vegetables um then it can help them at least get a sense of the range of information provided in that area
0: great what else anything else about your chapter that you're hoping to convey here
1: well i think it's really important for people to be on the lookout for um, structural problems in mm. an interface and um, you know it's a, it's a hard thing to do because it often means that there's at least some going back to the drawing board right. required. Um, oftentimes, even these days, it's, it's less common than it once was, but even these days, people look to um, usability testing as a rubber stamp. Like we wanna yep. show that we did it right. We wanna do some tweaks. Um, and this is when you get the request to do testing a week before launch, right? right. And think, well, you know, probably there are some tweaks. There always are. Um, but what you really should be doing, you know, don't squander your time with users. You know, if, if they help you identify a fundamental problem in the way you've organized things, you need to address that, you know, if not in that immediate launch, then as a fast follow-up, because ostriching, (laughs) pretending the problem doesn't exist, just doesn't do anyone any good. Um, so I would, I would say, look for these signs, um, as a way to um, determine, you know, do you have maybe long-term Issues in your design that you need to address, and to not be afraid of those, because you know I say they they take more time, they're more fundamental, and that's true. But they're not unsolvable. Right. Um, we have great methods in our toolkit for addressing IA issues. Um, you know, if you are trying to understand what users, you know, how users think about a body of content, you can do a card sort where you give them a subset of that content and they make their own categories. And when you look across participants. Uh, Statistical clusters will emerge um, that can um, guide your ultimate design of a new Mm. IA. Once you have a proposed IA, you can run a tree test to see how effective it is. You can, again, use stats to compare the um, efficacy of one tree versus another. So we, we have the tools to develop strong structures in our applications and to evaluate those structures. So we shouldn't be afraid of the problem. Um, and in fact, the, the longer you don't address it, the, the more problematic it becomes over time and then you end up with a franken site that is impossible to use. So yep. um, I would encourage people if they see these types of issues to, to hop on that right away and look to to resolve it as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's a great way to turn off new users, right If they can't use it from the onset because they can't navigate their so they navigate around um, then they're probably not going to come back.
1: Yeah, and you know it, It's yes, they have trouble finding things. That that's sort of the um, the most immediate implication. But what what a bad information architecture is saying to the user is we don't understand you, mm. and you need to work to understand us. And people just aren't going to do that. Right. <laughs> you know the the alternative is if you have a structure that um, is easy for users to process and it it fits with their um, existing model of the domain, then they feel welcome. They're like, oh, this site gets me. Right. This, you know, even if they don't recognize that explicitly, they just feel comfortable, and that's just setting the foundation for a much more successful relationship with the users.
0: Yep, yep. No, well put, well put, and thank you for that. Um, the other point that you made, I want to emphasize, is the, the the usability study at the end of your design process. The I think the red flag there is when it's called a user acceptance test.
1: <laughs> yes. And
0: uh, that's your one check-in with users. Then, then you're kind of checking in too late.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, a, a study at that point in time, in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It is sure. never bad to bring users into the process. Um, but hopefully, it's at the end of a long series of iterative, um, you know, touch points with users, from understanding how they do the behavior to begin with, to testing yep. an early prototype and getting feedback to. Um, bringing them in once you have more of the visual aspects and the functional aspects all worked out. Um, but if you if you skip all that and hope to rubber stamp it at the end, you're going to rubber stamp your problems. Yeah. And that's just not going to help anyone.
0: Yeah. And that research doesn't necessarily have to really add to project time that much if it's well integrated into the process. That's the one thing we hear is that, oh, research adds so much time. It doesn't have to.
1: No, we, we go to great lengths to work with our clients' processes to exactly. make sure we get users in when they need to be. You know, it, people vary, organizations vary in how much documentation they want about research, for example. But um, you don't need to draft a huge report and presentation mm. and document everything. I mean, it's, it, it's handy to have that and some context. You know, it makes sense to do that. Um, But it's also great to have the designers observe the sessions live and then debrief with them after the fact and come up with a quick list of here are the things we need to change and then um, and then the next week you're testing the next version, Um, we have standing relationships with some of our clients where we're using these iterative cycles to fit in with their agile processes and. Um, yeah, it doesn't add to the ultimate timeline, but it does add to the um, benefit of the product because it gets that user voice in there when it's needed.
0: Yep. So Kathy, um, we'd like to wrap up with a, uh, a tip for listeners. Do you have a UX tip for, uh, for folks either breaking into the field or who are continuing with their career?
1: Yes, I do. And um, in, in reflecting on this, I, I think it's rather sad that I need to say this, but I think it's important to say it. Um, I would encourage everyone in their roles in the UX field to ensure that they actually get to work with users. Hmm. Um, I I see a lot of um, job postings these days. I talk with a lot of professionals in the field who feel like they um, are UX specialists in name, but not in practice. They don't have the opportunity to um, observe users in real time, to design and execute studies, to iteratively test their work. Um, the the term user experience you know what is the user experience I think over, it historically it has meant what the user experiences right yeah. um, but it has come to mean in some contexts the interface Ooh, right yep. they, we hire people to design the user experience well I mean you design the interface and then the user has their experience right yeah. and you need to study that to make sure those things align so. Um, as people are entering the field or as they're looking at um, making transitions within the field, I think it's important to always ask the question, how often am I going to be working directly with users? What methods will I have available to me to connect with users? Um, how is um, user research used in the organization? Is it viewed as a welcome input that's necessary or is it viewed as a threat to timelines and budgets? Yeah. Um, and really... Um, enforcing that need to bring that user into the process um you know it makes your job easier and it makes the product at the end of the day um that much better
0: yeah that's uh it's a great point um and and also hear a lot these days of of companies who are reticent to uh, talk to users because they're the lawyers are scared one way or the other and you know there are ways to to work through that and yet you have to talk to the users for ux
1: the irony is that we view research as risk management, right? I mean, if you're going to have a problem with your product, um, you know, the the domain of risk management is identifying, anticipating potential problems and mitigating risk, and you know, you can't do that unless you know how people are going to use your product and where they're going to run into trouble. Yep. So, um, yeah, there are sometimes logistical challenges in actually connecting with users. Um, You know, there are privacy concerns and things like that. Um, But those are well worth solving and and they are solvable um, because they may identify um, much larger risks in the design of your product that could cause greater problems later on. So um, we always encourage people, it's always better to know than to not know. um, Because if you know, then you can respond and you can adapt and adjust.
0: Yeah. I love that um, for folks who are struggling with their their corporate lawyers and getting access to users, uh, the risk management. I've never thought of it that way, and um, I love that. Thank you for that. So, Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been a lot a lot of fun chatting with you today, and I hope you enjoyed it.
1: Yes, it's been my pleasure.
0: Um, So Kathy wrote the chapter, Know These Warning Signs of Information Architecture Problems, um, in the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Needs to Know. This is the 97 UX Things podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode and have yourself a great rest of the day. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.